From Coast to Coast to Coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Lauren Carter, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news. After spending the last two years on the Trans-Canada Trail, Sarah Jackson is set to become the first woman on record to complete the 11,500-kilometer hike. This week, we have a story about the Trans-Canada Trail. We have an interview with Edmund Anger, a cyclist with a petition to make the Trans-Canada Trail more safe, and we have a follow-up interview with Paul Labarge, chairman of the board of the Trans-Canada Trail organization, to get his perspective. Edmund Anger is a professor emeritus at the University of Alberta. He's been cycling on the Trans-Canada Trail for years, and right now he's completing the final leg of his journey from Victoria to Charlottetown. He's riding the trail to raise awareness for safety concerns on the Trans-Canada Trail. Edmund's wife, Elizabeth, was killed in a tragic cycling collision, and he rides in her memory. Here's the interview with Edmund Anger. My name is Edmund Anger. I am Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Alberta, and I um, have organized a campaign that I call Ride the Trail for Elizabeth. So to get into the interview, I just want to ask for a brief synopsis of your article, Shattered Dream, which appears in the May edition of Alberta Views magazine. Can you just give us a brief synopsis on the article? What I've tried to do is... um, Describe the history, resume the, the, summarize the history of the Trans-Canada Trail, one that is really not known by, especially by younger people. Uh, those people of my generation, I'm, I'll be 68 this summer, remember extremely well the origins of the Trans-Canada Trail and a horrible, um, a horrible traumatic event that took place in Alberta, just outside of Calgary. Um, and that event just... Uh, summarized briefly was that um, on July 29th, 1985, there were a group of cyclists on a cycling, a five-day cycling and camping trip organized by the Department of Recreation of the city of Calgary. Um, And uh, they were riding on the shoulder, which at the time was considered to be a a cycling lane of the Trans-Canada Highway. And they were struck by a motor vehicle, three were killed, and six were injured. And anyone, people living in Alberta, were horrified by what happened, and for lots of different reasons. But it was a horrible, horrible scene. And there was a man, whose name was Bill Pratt, who uh, was at the time known as Mr. Calgary. And he was also uh, um, responsible for the 1988 uh, Calgary Olympics, and he had a ranch at that spot, and he witnessed the the horror, and he resolved. He subsequently subsequently became uh, the person responsible for Canada's 125th anniversary celebrations, and he became the founding president of the Trans Canada Trail Foundation, and he resolved uh, to work for the building of a trail across this country that would be safe and would be built as far as possible from roads and highways. 
And that was the, the vision that my wife and I shared. And I talk very much, uh, it's an unusual article for me because as a um, longtime professor of political science, I've, I've never written about my own personal life and, and um, experiences. And, um, but my wife and I were very enthusiastic supporters. My wife was scared of writing. Uh, she was not a confident cyclist. She was very much afraid of riding on roads with motor vehicles. Uh, but she decided uh, that she wanted to – I wanted to take holidays, um, cycling holidays, and she agreed to come with me. We alternated between um, Europe and Canada, but we also did many other cycling trips in Canada. We did three weeks every summer, and her one request was that um, we not cycle on roads. And I planned our trips. And we had many, many um, terrifying experiences in Canada because we were finding that the, um, the Trans-Canada Trail was using roads and highways and ATV trails. And uh, at first we thought it was a problem with the links, like the parts weren't finished and we were having to go on the, on, on the roads uh, because they were connecting the trail. But we were discovering more and more that the Trans-Canada Trail itself was on the roads. And um, in 2012, um, we took a three-week uh, cycling holiday in New Brunswick and uh, Prince Edward Island. And when we arrived in Prince Edward Island following the Trans-Canada Trail Guide, um, we left the trail and again, following the recommendations of the trail guide, we went onto a two-lane road, and she, 2.9 kilometers later, she was hit by a drunk driver and killed. Um, and she was less than a year away from her retirement. Her plan was to spend five years working to make the Trans-Canada Trail a safe place and an accessible place. When she was killed, and given the, the way that uh, the, the circumstances of her death, um, I wanted very badly to take over her dream, her, her yeah. dream and the mission that she'd given herself. Now, the, the turning point for, for my wife was a ride that we tried to do in, in Alberta in 2008. We had many very bad experiences on the Trans-Canada Trail, but... Um, we tried to cycle um, there, the longest completed stretch at that time of Trans-Canada Trail was what's called the Iron Horse Trail. It is a former rail bed. In fact, it's a part of a rail link that originally came from Edmonton. So absolutely ideal for Trans-Canada Trail. The surface was so bad with the rocks and, and gravel and sand that we were unable to, to cycle it. Uh, for very far. And we were also having to pull off, continuously pull off the trail to let uh, ATVs by. We could hear them coming. They didn't know we were there, but we would pull off the trail as soon as we heard them coming. And um, in fact, on the that ATV trail, there would be no trail if it hadn't been for AT, ATV organizations. Right. So the turning point for Elizabeth was... But that was the turning point for Elizabeth I mean, we were trying to ride on the Trans-Canada Trail. We couldn't. Mm -hmm. We had to leave the trail and 
we had to go on the roads. Mm-hmm. And she resolved afterwards, that was 2008, and she said, when I take my retirement, I'm going to work to, for a, a safe trail and one that's not motorized and one that's successful, one that you can ride on. So your article really combines your personal experience and then it's also gotcha. very saturated with your research. Um, yeah. And you've made a career out of being a researcher as professor yep. at the University of Alberta. Um, so can you tell us a bit about that research process and uh, what you uncovered? Um, to learn more about it, I went into the newspaper archives. And some of them, uh, the Calgary Herald is the, is the, the most appropriate um, newspaper for learning about the history because the, um, the, the Trans-Canada Trail was founded in Alberta, in, specifically in Calgary. And when it was founded, um, uh, Bill Pratt, who had been um, president of the organizing committee for the 1988 Calgary Olympics, brought his whole executive over to the Trans-Canada Trail Foundation. So all the planning and all the, uh, the news reports, including the news reports on the accident in 1985, the news reports on the meetings that were taking place and, in, um, uh, to, f- to start up the Trans-Canada Trail and the plans and the discussions and the negotiations about what the Trans-Canada Trail would be, most of that was covered in the Calgary Herald. And the Calgary Herald has is, is been digitized since about, um, which means it's available online since, uh, if you know where to look since about 1988, but I wanted from 1985. So I went to the uh, University of Alberta, the microfilm, uh, copies of the, um, um, of the Calgary Herald, started g- going through them. It's very time-consuming, you know, it's not indexed. It's not like doing a, you know, when it's digitized, you can do a really quick search. Mm-hmm. You have to be very dedicated to go You have to go yeah. day by day. You know, I select a, the, the dates that I figure are going to be the most useful, but you go day by day and you read all those newspapers, you know, I mean, page by page. So it is mm-hmm. time. Yeah, you have to be motivated. So let's talk about your petition here. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you're trying to accomplish with it? Um, you know, I've tried to talk to, I've, <laughs> I've lobbied the provinces, I've met with cabinet ministers, I've done everything. Um, I've been working on this ever since my wife died, full time, mm-hmm. for five years, and the trail every year has just gotten worse. And everyone is saying it's not my responsibility. Provincial government's saying we just do whatever the Trans-Canada Trail tells us, and the Trans-Canada Trail people say oh, we have no control. It depends on the, on the municipalities and the provinces. You know, it has nothing. To, you know, the Trans-Canada Trail organization can call um, a one-eyed, one-horned, pink unicorn the Trans-Canada Trail if they want. That's up to them. There are no standards. There are no minimum standards for the Trans-Canada Trail. Mm -hmm. My hope is to, uh, and the petition asks for this, the petition asks that the government of Canada adopt a Trans-Canada Trail Act that would specify minimum standards for quality and safety for the Trans-Canada Trail. It doesn't ask them to put money in it. It doesn't get into the old constitutional uh, dimensions, although I have lots of ideas of where I'd like to go from here. But there's a lot of um, people have different opinions, you know, about who should pay for this and how it should be done. But I think there's one thing that we should agree, we, we're, we are able to agree on, and all the 
discussions I've had with people as I cycle across the country is that the Trans-Canada Trail should not be motorized. And there should be some kind of minimum standard for it. It shouldn't be um, a piece of bush that you can't even walk on or, or, or push a bike in. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, a, uh, shouldn't be a, a Lake Superior. Um, it shouldn't be an ATV trail. Let's, so let's say, let's talk about what are the standards to make the Trans-Canada Trail a world-class trail, a safe trail, and a genuine greenway that is environmentally responsible. And I want the, the, the federal government to adopt um, uh, a law, an act, that will specify uh, the use of, um, of the term Trans-Canada Trail and say you cannot use that term unless you meet certain minimum conditions. And they are going to have to work with the provinces to do that because roads, highways, trails are a provincial responsibility. But the in Trans-Canada Highway, one of the issues is that the provinces are not interested in a cross-Canada link. If they're going to be building trails or the municipalities are going to be building trails, they want to build them for the local population. That's where they see the need. That's where their, vo- their voters are. And they, no one was willing to build the Trans-Canada Highway because all the money that was first proposed in 1912, and when we got to 1948, nothing had happened because all the, uh, the, the provinces were just looking at local transportation. And it took the federal government in 1948, uh, organized a um, federal-provincial conference um, that set the minimum standards for the Trans-Canada highway. And in 1949, it uh, passed the um, Trans-Canada Highway Act that provided for a federal financing for the construction of a highway that met agreed standards mm-hmm. and norms. Uh, that highway was not finished until 1970, but at least it was done right. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. not a highway a so-called highway that went down back lanes and down a little, you know, I mean, the Trans-Canada Trail is horrible in most cases. You know, I mean, I, I'm generalizing, but in the majority of cases, it's, um, it's terrible. There are beautiful spots on the Trans-Canada Trail, and I want to make that clear, too. And there mm-hmm. are many, many wonderful people who have worked so hard to make this a reality. And I've talked to those people, very dedicated people, people I admire and respect, and they're uh, they extremely frustrated and disappointed too. You can find Edmund Anger's petition on his website, rythetrail.ca, and we have a link to that page from our website, terrainforma.ca. Now we'll hear what the chairman of the board of the Trans-Canada Trail Organization says about Edmund Anger's concerns. I asked Paul Labarge about how the Trans-Canada Trail Organization can improve the trail safety and what his response is to Edmund Anger's petition. So Edmund Anger wrote an article where he gives the history of the Trans-Canada Trail 
and he has research that shows that the original president, Bill Pratt, did not want the trail to exist along highways or roads. So why do some parts of the Trans-Canada Trail run along highways? Well, <clears throat> I guess um, I have to sort of step back and give you a little bit of history, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I'm actually one of the founding members of the Trans-Canada Trail. So if you look at the Articles of Incorporation, there are three signatures. There's mine, there's Pierre Camus, and there's Bill Pratt. And um, there was a lot of discussion. And I think um, what we're seeing is a distinction between the goal that is driving us and has driven us for 25 years and the process that it takes to get there. So if you look at the great trails of the world, and I'll pick two just as an example, you've got the Appalachian Trail, most people know about, and you've got the El Camino, which is the way, the, the road to Compostela. Both of those trails have sections that are on roadway. And it's mainly because, and, and by the way, in the case of the Appalachian Trail, when they first opened, um, something in excess of 45% of their trail was on roadway. Uh, that's diminished over the years, and that consistently is the pattern that happens with most trails, is that first you have to get the road laid out, then you have to start doing the assemblies, then when you do the assemblies you have sections where you have to do construction, and then you do have places where you have to have uh, road links, simply because at, it, at the first initiation of the trail, it's part of the process. And then following that, you start we're doing workarounds, finding other links, and so on. And, I, and, you know, I've always said that, and in fact, if you talk to Valerie Pringle or any of our other volunteers, you will see that the dedication to creating Greenway is at the core of what the Trans-Canada Trail stands for. But it's a work in process. It's something that we have to do step by step by step. There are over 427 trail groups that are involved in putting the Trans-Canada Trail together. And most of them are exclusively volunteers. And so the, you know, the, the fundraising is slow and difficult. The use of volunteer time to build trail means that it's sporadic. And even with the support that we've had from the various governments, it still takes time because there are competing budgetary elements. So, you know, Ed's goal and ours are not different. It's just his expectation as to you have to have perfection day one. And, and my reality where it has to be built. It's taken us 25 years to get this far. Um, that's, I think, where the main difference is. Uh, you know, if, if you want to ask any of us, um, by the time that, you know, hopefully before I'm pushing up daisies, if we can get all of this to be Greenway, that would be terrific. Um, do I think it's necessarily going to happen? Not necessarily, because there are parts of this country that are so remote that the roadways that form part of the trail actually have very little vehicular traffic on them. And they're actually very safe places to be. So, you know, I think that's really the, the real philosophical difference between us in terms of 
what he expects and but the goal uh, bill's goal and pierre's goal and my goal and all of our volunteers have the same goal to ultimately not be sharing it with any vehicular traffic so how does the trans canada trail organization make sure that the trail is safe in the interim okay so there's a bunch of things that we do obviously as i said we have local trail groups the local trail groups interact with both the municipalities uh, in which the trail is located as well as the provincial government Um, and every route that we pick every route that involves any kind of roadway involves extensive uh, coordination with every level of municipality and every level of government and on top of that uh, a lot of signage in terms of alerting people to the risk we look for routes that have wide shoulders we look for routes where it is safe for bicycles to travel so you clearly you don't pick major routes I mean Uh, We have a couple of places where we have to use an element of a major road, and we encourage people to be extraordinarily cautious. But on top of that, we also, in some cases, will give them a workaround that involves longer distances and so on. So it it is a thorough consultation process. It does involve signage. It does involve, like some of the things that have been done here in Ottawa, which is to set up visual boundaries between the trail side and the highway. So Edmund Onger is petitioning the federal government to make a Trans-Canada Trail Act that will impose safety standards on what can be called the Trans-Canada Trail. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on his petition? Well, I think his petition, um, I think it's well-intentioned. But unfortunately, I think, you know, to come back to where I was at the beginning, I think it is not um, realistic to expect the trail to emerge fully formed. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I am a bike rider, uh, and I also hike, and I also walk. And um, I probably bike somewhere between 5,000 and 7,000 kilometers a year. And some of that, in fact, I would say maybe half of it, is actually on roadway. And it's on roadways that I pick in terms of giving me access to get to the trail. And I deliberately pick roadways that have low usage. I pick roadways that are through residential areas. I pick roadways at a time of day when there's low traffic. And, you know, those are are the kinds of things that you do just as a part of being a cyclist in a world that has vehicles in it. So uh, when I look at the Trans-Canada Trail, I think of it a, a bit like a baby. Um, you know, what happened in 1992 was, you know, sort of the original pregnancy, the beginning of the pregnancy. We now at year 25 are fully connected, which to me is kind of like the birth of the trail. We we now know that we have something that is, uh, has the capacity to be fully formed. And we now have the next phase to me, which is taking it through infancy and adolescence to adulthood. And adulthood is when we're going to have the level of perfection that we'd all like to have. That's what we're aiming for. And I think, um, as I say, well-intentioned as, as Ed's petition is, I think it would have the effect of saying, we can't have a Trans-Canada Trail 
until it's perfect. And I don't think that's realistic, and I think it would be the death of the trail. Another concern of Anders is that portions of the trail are not well-suited for cycling. So what does it mean to the Trans-Canada Trail Organization for the trail to be multi-use? Well, okay. So I, I think one of the things you have to go back to is the original vision of Bill Pratt and Pierre Camus and uh, the original volunteers. And that was, this was a shared-use trail. So, for instance, we have parts of this country that um, you're not going to see a cyclist in it. You're going to be, uh, you know, if you're somewhere on the Mackenzie, and, and you'll notice if you look at our letterhead, the old letterhead, you will see the activities across the top. So we always contemplated that there would be blue ways because you can't canoe on a trail. You can't canoe on a trail that isn't a blue way, right? You're not going to see a canoe on a cycling path. Uh, except if you're doing a portage. Mm-hmm. Um, you will, parts of it are going to be accessible in different ways. If you're biking, then unless you're doing fat tire biking, you're only going to see that during the summer months. If you are skiing, you're not going to see that in the summer months unless you're on a really northern part of the trail and there's been some bad weather. So the, the activities are designed to reflect the fact that not everybody's a cyclist. And so this was never meant to be a cycling trail. It was meant to be a trail that in its different parts would actually appeal to the different interests of Canadians. That's why we have an equestrian application. There are sections of the trail that have horses on them. And, you know, that is no different in terms of significance than is the question of a snowmobile and a skier, right? So, I mean, it's... We have looked at something that is inclusive as opposed to exclusive. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I, I, I think the only thing I would say is um, I feel deeply for Mr. Andre's loss. I, I absolutely do. Um, but I also believe that, you know, we have, as I said, hundreds of thousands of volunteers. And these are good people. These are, these are all honest dedicated Canadians. And, and, you know, I personally, speaking for myself on their behalf, um, find it a little hard to take that somebody says that they're engaged in a hoax. I think that use of language is is a bit extreme, and I don't think it's fair. Um, I think it's important that we understand that we have the same goal. Um, We just happen to disagree about how we get there. And I think that has to be kept in in perspective, I can tell you that when I bike, if I come to a situation, and I had it happen just last weekend, if I come to a situation that's dangerous, I don't push forward. I turn around and I go back. And I think, you know, I would say we encourage our users. We have uh, in place um, information on the website. As soon as we get alerts about trail condition, we put it on the website. We try and make sure that everybody knows. And so we encourage people, because it's a recreational activity that involves risk, even just falling off your bike without there being any traffic around is a risk. Okay, Same thing with skiing or anything else. So we encourage people to exercise a high degree of care. And, you know, it's, I guess when I look at it, I'm saying it's a great venture, 
it does involve physical activity, and physical activity naturally involves the possibility of accidents. Um, but we do our best, and we will continue to do our best, and we will always continue to try and create the safest trails we possibly can. That's all the time we have for this week's show. If you want to hear even more stories like that, check out our website at terrainforma.ca. And while you're there, look for the survey tab in the menu. We would love to get to know you, our listeners, and what you enjoy about the show. Your input can influence the content we gather over the next year. Also, upon completing the survey, you can enter a draw for the chance to win the opportunity to host Terra Informa like we are now with us in Edmonton, or if you're from another city, no problem, you can still co-host from afar. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at Terra Informa. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. I've been your host and producer, Lauren Carter. Catch you next week.